Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. You guys ready to get into the Word this morning? Amen, me too. It's good to be back with you. Laura and I were catching some sunshine uh, last week. Not that you can tell because about 15 minutes in uh, the 12 degree weather here in Northeast Ohio and any tan that you ever hope to have is gone, right? So, so it's gone. It's, it's already left us. But uh, believe it or not, we did see the sun and about 78 degrees uh, last week. So we enjoyed that. But we love being home with our family. And we are so excited for all these things God's got coming up. And the way that God's moving in our community. And as we enter 2022 here together as a church, I want to encourage you, seize the day. Take advantage of this moment. It's, it's an important moment. And let's believe God together for big things ahead. Amen? All right. We got to do a little bit better than that. Okay, I wasn't here last week. We got to believe God together for big things in 2022 or what? Okay. All right. Fine. All right. Some people. Some people are going to. That's okay. We'll start there. God says if you're faithful with the small, he'll bring much. Okay, we're going to go. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, I would say, as they look at the, the year here, something about changing the calendar gets you excited for the year ahead, and you start to dream and hope for things. And I would say that a lot of people that I've met, they're looking to see some things change in the new year. You know, maybe they're like, this is going to be the year that COVID stops being a reality for us, or whatever. Or, you know, that change, that downturn in business, I want to see God rejuvenate things, or whatever it may be. I've run into so many people who are looking to see change in 2022. And what's interesting to me is the way that people try and bring about those changes, right? You know, it's every new year, no matter how hard the year was before, how great it was that everybody sets New Year's resolutions. We start to make our plans for this is how, this is how things are going to be different this new year. But as always here at church, we are going backwards, not forwards. We're not trying a bunch of new things. We're returning to the ancient paths, the ways of Jesus that never fail us. Amen? So as we do that, as we go back to the tried and true way of Jesus, we've been looking at a series here of teaching that we just simply are calling The Way. The Way. What is the way of Jesus? And I love it because, as Randy mentioned last week, the, the new fledgling church that Jesus started in the book of Acts, when it just got started, the early church, they were simply known as followers of the way. Followers of the way. Long before they were called Christians, and even after they were called Christians, they were still just referred to as the way. So we're looking at what, it, what was it that they did that changed the world? What were the habits that they embraced? Because that name, the way, it shows us that they weren't just known for what they believed or what they thought, but how they lived. It was an active lifestyle that was so different than anybody around them. The way speaks to us of their actions and their practices. So we've been digging into some of those. We started by looking at the reality that the way begins inside of us. Right? We can try and change a lot of external things, but what matters is the heart, what's going on on the inside. We don't change from the outside in. If you're looking to see change in 2022, it doesn't happen with a bunch of external change. It starts in the heart and coming to God and saying, I can't accomplish all these dreams that you put on my heart. I need you to help me. Teach me. I surrender to you. Lead me the way of a humble heart because it all begins with what's happening 
on the inside. Last week, you had the rather unexpected privilege of hearing from Randy, uh, as CJ is, is still out and will hopefully be back with us next week. And he shared with us about the daily ways of this community we see in the book of Acts, that it was a daily commitment that they made to community with one another around these shared practices. I want to encourage you, if you've missed either of those messages, you can find them online. But today I want to get back into the word together. And I want us to look again at the central scripture that we are exploring in Acts chapter 2. And it will be up on the screen for you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this. Under the subheading in my Bible it says, The believers form a community. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. This is how they formed a community. These are the things that they dedicated themselves to. And I love that it comes under that heading of the believers form a community. Why did they need to do that? Well, on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 were added to their number, that was 3,000 people from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different worldviews, all kinds of different languages. And they had to figure out how to work it out. So I want to say, if you've ever been part of church and be like, man, church is messy. Imagine what they were going through in that moment. Church is messy. It's a fact. But here's what united them. Here's the things they committed their, their daily lives to. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals in the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These are the practices. These are the habits of what the way has looked like for 2,000 years. Amen? So a couple of things stick out in this verse, but I want to camp out today on the first of those today. They committed themselves daily to the teaching of the apostles. Their practice was to daily meditate on and embody the word of God, to pass on the teachings of Jesus and immerse themselves in his worldview, the story that Jesus was telling on earth. So I want to take a few moments this morning and consider our dedication to the word what it looks like, the way of the word. There's three things I want to get into as we look at how much the word has a hold of us in our lives. I want to look at the reality of plurality in our world. I want to look at the claims that the word makes. And I want to look at the promise of blessing for us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come together around your word. We come because we seek your face. We seek your wisdom. We don't want to live according to our understanding. We give you permission to direct our thoughts, direct our hearts, direct our lives. Come and meet us where we are. Stir something up in us today. Lord, if we're living with blinders on here in 2022, would you take the blinders off and let us see things as they truly are? Lord, would you commit our hearts? (laughs) Would you obligate us again? Your word makes claims on our lives. Lord, we hear those things today. And give all of our hearts, all of our attention back where it really belongs. In Jesus' name, amen. Then, October 30th, 1938, was a day that shocked the world. Does anybody know the significance of that date or what happened on that day? You're kind of surprised if you did. Apparently, on October 30th, 1938, alien life forms landed on Earth in a metal cylinder somewhere in the New Jersey countryside. Across the airwaves of CBS radio came the report from a reporter who had rushed to the scene. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing that I have ever witnessed. That face, 
It's indescribable. And what's that? There's a jet of flame springing from it. And that leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Good Lord, they're all turning into flame. Now the whole world's caught fire. The woods, the barns. It's spreading everywhere. It's coming this way. The report cuts out for a number of seconds of just hissing radio static. Only to continue with news that more alien arrivals had come. The National Guard had been called in. And all the worst fears of all the world were coming to pass. This report, of course, was not real, but the sheer chaos that it caused on October 30th, 1938 was. The realistic news report that went out over the airwaves that day, people were in blind panic. They had no idea what they were tuning into that day as they tuned their primary form of entertainment and found something that sounded like the world was ending. They panicked, they took refuge, they bought up whole stores, they held prayer vigils, they did crazier things than you can imagine. Terrifying things, sad things. John Mark Comer opens his book, Live No Lies, with this story. The famous work of a man by the name of Orson Welles. You might have heard of him before. This was an experimental moment. Orson Welles had taken the novel War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells and edited it to form a one-hour radio storytelling event that had never been heard before. He did something that no one had done on radio before, and the world, quite frankly, wasn't ready for it. They had no idea what was going on. They were used to hearing crazy reports of the war, so when a very realistic news report came on and started telling them what was going on, it ignited panic and pandemonium everywhere that day. It sent people into outright craziness that was seen as far away as Nazi Germany commented on by Hitler, newspapers, newsprint, front page all over the world the next day was talking about the chaos caused by Orson Welles. And Welles feared his career was over, says John Mark Comer. Instead, all the publicity landed him a dream contract in Hollywood. Three years later, Orson Welles wrote, directed, and starred in a movie called Citizen Kane, which is, by some critics, considered the best film ever made. What's the point here? It turns out that stories are pretty powerful. Stories are pretty powerful and can change our lives if we let them. And if you're that convincing a storyteller like Orson Welles, it seems like somebody's always going to have a job for you, right? Someone's going to hire you. Because the reality of what Orson Welles knew and was so good at is simply this. Human beings are wired for stories. We are story magnets. We are meant to fall in love with stories. It's part of the way God created us. A great story can unlock things in the hearts of its hearers. It can direct the flow of our attention. It certainly gets a hold of our emotions. It stirs up dreams in us, takes us on a journey. How many of you guys love a great story? Whether it's being read to you or you're watching a film. My son, Ethan, right now he's in this phase where he will relentlessly ask me, Daddy, tell me a story. We got like a half hour drive. I have to come up with story after story. He's like, tell me a different story. Tell me another story. All the time. I don't have enough stories for this kid. That's a fact. But when I tell him these stories, I try and communicate stories that have little lessons in them along the way. Things that maybe will help him from getting into trouble. You know. And it's amazing to me how much better it works how much more he retains those lessons when they come as part of those stories. It works so much better than just saying, hey, this is what you need to do because I say so and I'm dad and you're not, right? 
when he gets it, when he sees the story, when he sees what happens, those things become his, his processing, his way of seeing the world. I mean, fact of the matter is several of those stories, the moral of those stories might be that his uncle is a sneaky sneakster, right? But the reality is his uncle is a sneaky sneakster, and he needs to know now before his uncle plays dirty tricks on him. So that's fine, right? Come on, are you guys out there this morning? You know, those stories, though, they have a way of passing along deeper truths, don't they? They have a way of reaching into our hearts and illuminating things that we need to know in a way that just fits. It clicks with us in a different way. There's a reason that the whole Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts, but a story. That reason is because God is not after behavior modification. He's after your heart and my heart. So he tells us a story, his story in the Bible. And the greatest storyteller of all time was Jesus himself, right? The one who came to live a different story among us. The one who chose stories as his method for communicating deeper truths. You know, the challenge for us, though, if we're honest, is this. Our world is so full of stories, it's crazy. Our world has so many stories. There are multitudes of stories around us available to us at all times about all kinds of things. There are stories that you're going to hear today, even as you go forth from this place, about, you know, really deep things, the meaning of life. People are going to be telling stories about what matters in life, what's going to bring fulfillment to you, all the deepest things that we have questions about. And then they're going to tell you things that are just going to try and convince you to buy a different flavor of gum. There's stories about big things. There's stories about little things. But we hear so many stories every single day. And just as it has always been, we have the choice of what story we're going to listen to. What story we're going to embrace. This is the reality of plurality. We live in a pluralistic world. We live in a world where people are free to tell whatever stories about reality. It's a world full of them, from the important to the meaningless. And we get to choose. Which story are we going to believe? Which story are we going to live our lives by and embrace? Which will we give attention to? You know, when God shows up in the garden after Adam and Eve receive a different story for the first time, he asks them, who told you you were naked? He asks them, whose story are you believing? Whose voice are you listening to? Now we have more stories available than ever. What narratives are we going to embrace? See, there are big overarching narratives that seek to answer questions in us. The deep questions we all have. And they they try to answer our questions with religion or irreligion. With secularism, materialism, tribalism, nihilism, you name it, and everybody has an answer to the questions in your heart and mine. Everybody has a story for us. You sometimes hear these stories called worldviews. You heard this term, worldview? It simply means this. A worldview is a story by which we see everything else in our lives. A story, a lens that we look through that directs our hearts. Worldviews do more than just entertain us. They inform us, they change us, they shape us and motivate us. And a worldview asks us to live into the story, to live into the story. It's not just enough to hear about a worldview. Every worldview that will be presented to you will ask you to do something, to change, to flow with it, to let your life be informed by it, to embrace the story and live it out. Here's the reality today. Every single one of us has a worldview. Whether we have a label for it or know how to explain it or not, we all operate by a worldview that is a a great story or maybe a collection of stories that we believe that we allow to direct us. 
The reality is this. That worldview, what we are allowing to shape us, whatever story we're living by, it changes us over time, doesn't it? It changes us over time. It affects what comes out of us. As Jesus says, you're going to bring forth out of your heart those things which you are storing up inside your heart. He said a good man brings forth good out of the good that he has stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings forth evil out of the evil he's put in his heart. Translate that. The story that you're living by, the story that you're embracing, the narrative that you're rolling with, that's going to start coming back out of you. It's going to shape you. It's going to come back out of you as well. When Jesus spent his time on earth, he came telling a very different story, didn't he? He went about everywhere with a radically different story than anyone had heard before. And it was a story about us, a story about God, and a story about a future that is waiting. And he lived it out every single moment. In John 14, 6, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He proclaimed that his story, his worldview, his way of seeing the world was the true story. And he invited us to live it out with him promising it would change everything in our lives. He promised he would bring reconciliation with God himself and life more abundantly when we choose to embrace his story, when we let his, his worldview become our guide of our lives. The late Eugene Peterson commented on this claim, the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus makes in John fourteen six, and he said it this way. He said, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the life of Jesus in us. The Jesus way has to remain wedded to the Jesus truth for it to produce in us the life Jesus has in mind for us. I want us to consider, how much are we committed to the truth of God's word? How much are we committing our hearts to the story that God has been telling? In the midst of all the, all the other stories we have available to us, told to us, and sold to us daily, how much time are we really immersing ourselves in God's story? It's an important question. Are we committed to it in theory? Oh, I like the idea. That sounds nice. I believe what the Bible says about most things. Are we committed to it to like a certain level? As long as it doesn't mess with my views on this. As long as it doesn't upset the apple cart. Or maybe as long as it works for me. How much are we committed to it? Do we give it time and space in our lives? How often are we opening the word? How often are we soaking ourselves in things from the word of God? If we could rank all the things that occupy our thoughts, all the things that occupy our hearts on a daily basis, where would God's story fall in that ranking? I want to challenge us with this today. Because the word itself challenges us. It speaks into our every moment and we need to decide if this is a story we're willing to embrace or not. Maybe the question really should be, you know, what story or stories are we soaking our minds and hearts in? Now, where is this amongst the variety that's presented to us every day? In our moment, with all the other stories offered to us every single day, we have to ask this question. We have to be real about whether we are committed to the way of Jesus, the way of the word, the way of his story. Because all around us in our world in 2022, we see the effects of a world that has committed its lives to all the false narratives out there. 
We see what plurality is giving us. People can't seem to agree on anything anymore. I think we can probably agree on that at least. Why is that the case? See, with all the stories competing out there, the world can't seem to get on the page, same page about what is true. In fact, the world can't even seem to get on the same page about whether there is such a thing as truth that we can ever agree on. And where, if it did exist, where do we find it? The world's all over the map on these things, as it's informed by all these other stories. Six years on from when the Oxford English Dictionary named post-truth their word of the year, we are living in the fallout of a world where truth is totally subjective to my preferences, my emotions, my desires at any moment. That's the world we live in today. For better or worse, it's our reality. That's what we see outside these doors. The truth, the facts, the reality of our world has become a contested thing. Something slippery and hard to get your hands on. What does the world believe? What do people agree on? Where is truth to be found? For me, this reminds me a lot of the conversation, very brief conversation that Jesus has with Pontius Pilate right before he is executed. When he's on trial with Pontius Pilate, he has this little conversation in John chapter 18. And Pilate is trying to figure out, what is this man doing here? Why have they brought him to me? What's his crime? What has he done wrong? You know, what's the accusation? If they're saying that you claim to be their king, why are they selling you out? Pilate's trying to figure out what's going on here. And let's read what Jesus says to Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36 to 38. Jesus answered like this. He said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Pilate says, what is truth? And he went out to the people and told them, this man's not guilty of anything. What is truth? That may be the most 2022 line that you will ever hear come out of the mouth of a Bible character. What is truth? I mean, is there anything more postmodern than to kind of like drop that line, drop the mic, and walk out of the room again, right? Maybe you've had a conversation like that with somebody where you're like, hey, you know, we're trying to have a heart-to-heart, and they're just like, yeah, well, that works for you. See you later. That's your truth. This is my truth. What is truth? We live in a world that says, you know, truth is really inside of you. Speak your truth, create yourself, define yourself, live whatever story you like. It's all subjective anyway. It's all about your experience. You are the center of the universe. The great American sociologist, Robert Bella, commenting decades ago, by the way, his conclusion was this, that the most fundamental belief in American culture, the most fundamental belief in American culture is that moral truth is relative to individual consciousness. That what we accept is true is really about my experience anyway. Decades ago, I think if he had written that today, he might have been a little bit stronger in his wording even. Maybe we should refer to our age as the pilot age. Because we live in a time where, you know, what is truth is everywhere. And the amount of stories attempting to answer that question multiply every single day. 
and it'll make your head spin if you try and keep up with all the different worldviews that are being offered. There are so many ideologies, so many tribes available. At any given moment, you're going to be able to find somebody to affirm whatever you might be feeling. You can find somebody, you can go online, you will find a group that hardcore agrees with whatever you might be feeling. Does that make it true? Does that make it truth? What is truth? Where are we going to find this? In the midst of the story wars that are going on out there, I want to submit to you today the proof is still in the pudding. The proof of the truth is still in the outcomes that it produces in our lives when we embrace it. So we need to look at what stories we're living into, what stories we embrace, the truth claims we accept. And we need to ask the question, what is this producing in me? What is it actually producing in me? Where is this road going? Where is it leading me? Now, Pilate may have been 2,000 years ahead of his time. Let's take a moment here and look at what Jesus is saying. Jesus wades straight into this topic of truth. He doesn't hold back at all. In fact, Jesus frames his entire reason for coming as he's talking to Pilate, as his whole purpose of coming is to testify to the truth, to testify. You know, he knows because he was there at the beginning exactly how we're wired, that we are wired for stories, that we're going to live into narratives. He knows this better than anyone. And he said that the world has been living according to the wrong set of stories. The world has been living with the wrong stories into the lies of the enemy. So he came to set the story straight. In a world full of stories, Jesus is still wanting to set the story straight in every one of our hearts every single day. Those counterfeit stories were and still are wreaking havoc on the lives of people that God cares so much about. And his desire for us is to see incredible fruitfulness and blessing in our lives but there's a choice that we all make as to what stories we're going to live into. The abundant, eternal life that he came to give us is still found when we embrace his truth and follow his ways. When we come under his authority, when we allow him to say what is true and truly commit to following him. Reality is about all the worldviews we see in our world the stories we encounter every day, every single one of them does ask things of us. They want to inform us and form us. And that's not going to change anytime soon. That's not something that's going to just disappear. People aren't going to get on the same page all of a sudden. You know, decades ago, there was this theory, this idea that, you know, once everybody is enlightened to the same level, just as we're all educated, we all share the same basic, you know, access to information, that everything's just going to continue getting better until everybody just lives this harmonious existence utopia. Where is that? Right? The more information we have, the more people seem to want to kill each other in my estimation, right? Where's the proof in the pudding? Everybody makes truth claims today. Everybody tells a story. And every single one of those worldviews demands allegiance. But as believers, we have to recover a firm dedication to the truth according to the creator, the truth of God's word. Amen? We live in a time where the word of God itself is being deconstructed absolutely every day. And as Christians, we need to make it a priority again to let the word of God speak for itself in our lives. To let the word of God direct, to let the word of God 
drive our motives, our actions, to let it work on me, to let it challenge me. In fact, if you haven't been challenged by anything in the Word of God for a while, I would ask you if you've been reading it. Because when I read the Word of God and it shows me that mirror, it seems like every day God wants to lop off things that are not true in my life that I've embraced. Stories that I'm living by. God wants to set the record straight. Jesus came to set the story straight. But we have a choice of whether we're going to let him do that or not. The Christian should be the foremost truth seeker in the world, in all things. And our search for truth absolutely needs to begin with seeking the thoughts of God Almighty on every question, every problem that comes our way. God, what do you think about this? What does your word say about this? Not Google your way through it, right? Not, hey, what does my neighbor think when he's high? He had, a, he had a wave of revelation. Maybe he's got something for me. Where are we going for our truth? As Paul says over and over again in his letters, and I'll give you a random sampling here from a variety of them, as he writes to the young churches he planted and young friends that he had been mentoring, he said things like this, guard your heart and your doctrine closely. Continue in the sound teaching that I passed on to you, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Don't let yourself get swayed by a bunch of high-sounding nonsense or by those who sling a bunch of baloney because it makes them feel good in a moment. Read the New Testament. Every letter from Paul includes something along those lines. Don't get swayed by the high-sounding philosophies that are empty and hollow, he calls them. We have the eternal word of God. We need to recover the way of committing our lives to his story, the way of the word. You want to see change in your life in 2022? It starts here. It starts with committing your lives to Jesus, your word, your way for my life again. We hold to this truth because we believe what it says about itself. And you know, the Bible makes claims about itself, just like Jesus made claims. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible makes claims about itself, and that's what we hold to. It says this, 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful in our lives for all things. Hebrews 4.12, this word is living and active. It can clarify things for us even when things are emotionally charged in the moment. Truth is not subject to our emotions. It's based on the character of an unchanging God. It's based on the one who is the truth. Psalm 119, 105. You need a light for your path and a lamp unto your feet. This is it. And maybe you grew up with Amy Grant, but I hear those words all the time. I can't read Psalm 119, 105 without thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, the word will produce the change God intended. It will change our lives. It never fails to produce, ever. When we sow the seed of the word into our hearts, it flourishes when our hearts are ready to receive it. And as Acts 2.42 tells us, this word has been the bedrock of the community of people who follow Jesus truly for over 2,000 years. From day one of the church, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word of God. There is a story we can trust that is worth living into. And it's a story that leads to God's best for us. When we choose to live into this story, it's a story that promises, unblushingly promises so much blessing for you and I. C.S. Lewis says it like this. 
A lot of times we think that God is scared of our desires. Like, oh, you want too much. Just chill out over there. God wants more for you than you can ever imagine. He's not scared of your desires. In fact, he thinks you desire way too little. You want God's best for you. Come back to the truth. He wants to bring his, his life into you in a way you can't even imagine. Bring you close to him. But that means we can't just give this word the occasional cursory glance. We must live into it. We must immerse ourselves in the story that God is telling. When you look at the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, there's a slightly different arrangement than you'll find in our Bibles. In Hebrew, the the Old Testament Bible is called the Tanakh, T-N-K, the the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim. My Hebrew is terrible, but it basically means there are three sections of it. There's the law, the prophets, and the writings. Law, the prophets, and the writings. And if you want to imagine those as three giant sections, what I find really interesting is what happens when those sections meet, when they arranged it, when the word of God was put in place. If you look at those transition moments between the the law and the prophets and from the prophets to the writings, there's some really fascinating things that they share in those transition moments. Almost identical language is found. And as the book of the prophets opens, and as the writings opens, There is a clear picture that is given of how God's chosen people are to overcome, how they're to live victoriously and step into the blessed life that God desires for us. Joshua 1.8, the beginning of the prophet's section of the Tanakh says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on this word day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The opening of the writings, Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3 says this, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Bible is a story worth living into. It's worth immersing our lives in. The call for God's people to experience his best in our lives is to meditate on his word day and night. Meditate on it. Keep it on our lips. Make it first priority. Make it that worldview by which we see everything else we encounter in life. It asks us, well, what are we saturating our minds with and our hearts with? What story is the primary story in our lives? And what fruit is that bearing? in our hearts. James picks up on this theme in the New Testament and he can hear him pleading with the people he's writing to. James chapter 1 verse 23 to 25 says this, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever gazes intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it Not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in everything that they do. What are these passages telling us? That we need to be hearers and doers of the word. It's not enough to come occasionally and say, okay, I agree with that in principle. It's not enough to say we believe it and not put it in motion. We need to live our lives according to the story God is telling. Meditate on it day and night. Put it in practice in our lives. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 7, we need to build everything on this foundation, a sure foundation. 
Letting the story he's telling be the one that we trust, that we live our lives into. The beautiful thing is this. Have you noticed how in each of those passages, there's something that's calling to us? Like every worldview we encounter every day, it actually makes a claim on us. It says you need to do this. But when we do, every single one of them promises fruitfulness, blessing, flourishing, prosperity in our lives. According to God's way. We're made for stories. We're wired for stories. All of us are living into one story or another. Maybe a ton of stories all at once. But when we let the word of God be our primary source of truth and direction, it changes everything in our lives. It leads us into what Jesus called life more abundantly. And there are so many blessings that he promises us when we choose to make his word our first priority. So if you want to step into a life of closeness to God, you want to step into a life where you experience God's best for you, the way of Jesus is the way of the word. And it's worth investing our whole selves into. My prayer for our community is this, Lord, just let us fall in love with your word again. Let us fall in love with your word again. Draw our hearts to your word again. Let us rediscover the power of the unfailing promises of God in our lives. Let us find his wisdom in an age where nobody can agree about anything, where there's confusion and anxiety all around. Let us find his peace. It's his promise to us. So I'll say to you today, let's allow the story of God to be the one that shapes our lives. Let's allow the story according to the creator who made us to form us into the image of Jesus, as Paul says, to be our primary source of reality again. Even as our world continues to throw a million and one options at us every single day, let us make the word our priority again. Amen? American novelist Flannery O'Connor said this, to truly know oneself is above all to know what one lacks. It is to measure oneself against the truth not the other way around. To truly know yourself is to measure yourself against the truth, not the other way around, not to measure the truth against myself. We live in a world that insists that truth can only be found by looking inside. Truth, real truth, that's going to change us, that's going to bring God's blessing, is only found when we look inside this word. Truth is not subjective to my emotions. It's not subjective to my desires, because I can tell you, my emotions and desires, they blow in the wind. You don't want to know truth according to Ryan's desires. It would scare you. I'm your pastor. It's a bad idea, okay? <laughs> a true story that's worth living into is found in the ways and the word of God. I'm thankful, I hope you are too, that we have the living and inspired, infallible truth of God's word available to us. Can you imagine we have it every single day. If I don't happen to have my Bible with me, I have like 92 versions available on my phone. Like, and yet, we still don't make it a priority in our lives. Let's give it the proper place in our hearts again, in our minds, in our schedules again, amen? I want to get practical for just a minute as we prepare to close here and talk about ways we can do this. I think it's really important and the reason I wanted to focus on stories this morning is because I think we need to identify the stories that are around us, if that makes sense. The people in our lives live their lives according to a story. Everything we see on TV and advertising, it's all telling stories. Some things are small, some things are big. 
But there are so many stories. We need to actually begin to identify what are those stories actually saying? I didn't put it up on the screen, but I find it fascinating as you're driving, looking at billboards, right? Because billboards, they don't have a lot of space to say what they need to say, right? I was driving past one the other day. It's for some orthopedic center or whatever, and it literally showed a person on like a moped or something like that, and it was like, escape from pain. I thought, well, if ever there was a story that embodied how we like see the world, it's that. Like, you know what? You might be in pain now, but it doesn't matter. Like, right? And I know that, you know, hopefully with orthopedic surgery, that can happen for some people. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But there's an underlying story behind every story. And, and the reality is we are allergic to pain and suffering in America. Right? We will do anything to insulate ourselves from even uncomfortable, mildly uncomfortable situations, let alone actual existential pain or frustration that we might have. Everything tells a story. And I think before we get into what practical steps we can take to align ourselves with God's story, part of what we need to do is become experts at identifying the stories that are being sold to us. Identify those things. Because I can tell you, I worked in the marketing field. Every single brand, every single product that's out there, every single person wants affirmation of their version of the story. Everything is telling you a story if you'll just do X, Y, and Z. Those stories make claims on us. As believers, we need to actively weigh and filter those things. Or as Paul said to the Thessalonian church, test everything and hold on to what is true, what is good. Test everything, hold on to what is good. As we practice this, it will help us to identify counterfeit stories that maybe are way more important than just our daily purchases. The big, life-altering ideologies that are sold to us every day that easily become idols in our lives, that worm their way into our hearts, even sometimes looking like the way of Jesus, but then taking an off-ramp into ideologies of all sorts. The Bible says we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Reality is the enemy is not ignorant of the devices of God either. He knows we're wired for stories, and he's really good at telling them too. Let's take captive every single thought and hold it accountable to the word of God. Amen? Second thing is this. When you've begun to identify, and I pray that God would just give you a weird weird sense of humor with this, and that everywhere you go, you'd be like, oh, what story is that telling? But when you begin to live that way, when you begin to weigh everything, test everything, and look for what's true according to God's ways in it, then we can begin to be ruthlessly committed to the story God is telling. To be committed above all else to his story on his terms for his desired outcome in our lives. And let's be willing to let it change us. Let's be willing to hold nothing back from him, amen? Once you're ready for that, how you get into this word, there are so many amazing ways Getting into the word of God. There's so many amazing ways. You may be a reader. You may not be a reader. You may be somebody who likes to move fast. You may be somebody who wants to like literally linger on a word for like 42 days. There are ways of reading the word of God that would be right up your street, I promise. If you're one of those old school people who wants to work your way through, you can go back to the, the ancient practice known as Lectio Divina. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's not real popular in Protestant circles, but I promise you it's produced a lot of change in hearts of Christians over thousands of years. A way of reading scripture to just soak in it, to reflect on it, to apply it to your, your life every day. Maybe you're more new school. You can go forward into the future with the Bible project. 
You know, we use a lot of their resources around here. They just released an app that is an incredible, immersive experience in the Word of God. And it will really just challenge you. You know, so if you're one of those people who wants to use one of these, there are ways to use one of these for God's glory, believe it or not. You can do all sorts of things with the Word of God, but whatever you do, make sure you give it space. Because no Bible reading plan is going to work until your heart is saying, God, there's nothing more that I want than you. Until you've cleared some schedule for God's Word. Amen? Let's make it the primary story we're living into today. Let's remember the promises that God has for us when we seek him first. Seek first the kingdom and all these other things that your father knows you need. All these things we tend to run after instead of God's ways. He says, if you'll seek me, all those things will be added to you as well. You aren't going to be lacking anything. In fact, when you give up any time, when you give up that space to seek him, it's amazing how much he gives back to you. It's not like you're going to miss out on a single thing. The blessed life that God has in mind for us. The life of Eden. Life more abundantly flourishing according to how he made us. That is promised to every single person who says, Jesus, your ways. Jesus, your word. I'm living into your story every day. Amen. I want to pray together. And I want to encourage you. If you're looking for a way to go deeper in the word, come and talk to me. Because sometimes, you know, we lay out plans on the Connect Center, and that's great. And uh, you might feel a little intimidated by it. Come talk to me. I'd love to meet you where you are and say, well, what are the things you enjoy? What are the stories that have captured your attention from the Word? And we can talk about some things to read together or some things to maybe even look online and view together. that will just draw your heart into the Word. That's my prayer. As your pastor, there's nothing more that I want to see than every person going deeper in the Word in 2022. Nothing more important than that. Let's pray together. Lord, you're so good to us. And, and the reality is your desires for us, they really do. They put our desires in their place, Lord. It's, it's amazing how much better, how much better you have in store for us than what our wildest dreams are. You are a God of more than we could ask or imagine. And you're so good to us. Every good and perfect gift that we have in our lives comes from you. So God, we trust you. We trust that your story is the one that matters most. We want to know what you think about things. We want to think your thoughts back to you. We want to immerse ourselves in your word. We want your worldview to be what shapes us and informs us and grows us to be more like your son Jesus every day. Pray that you teach us how to do that. And first and foremost, we pray that you give us a heart to want that. It's really easy in our world to just turn aside to all these other distractions, especially because they're all telling us whatever you feel in the moment. Yeah, that's true. Live according to that. It's really, really easy to fall in love with that story. But God, we want the truth. We want your best according to what your desires are for us. So we pray that you would give us big hearts committed to you as never before. Draw us to yourself again and again and again. Create space in our lives. Help us to make space in our schedules for more of you. And God, we pray that you would help us to take captive every lie of the enemy, every counterfeit story, every story that started out looking so great but became an off-ramp and is producing death in us. 
It's producing anxiety and confusion, lack of peace in our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would help us to arrest those things. Take them back to the word of God and say, that doesn't line up here. That doesn't line up. Teach us how to do that, Lord. We know as we get deeper in your word, as we follow your teachings, we commit ourselves daily to it, that you'll do just that. And we thank you that you're faithful. That you're faithful not to leave us where we are, but to take us into your best when we choose you first. That you still say to us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Give us the grace to do that now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.